0: All right, welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. Today, we're gonna be talking about what actually gives you the right to manage your Metron. Have you ever wondered if you actually have a right to matter, or is that just something you hear people talk about or mention that, oh, you really matter, you're important, do you believe that? I would suggest you actually do matter. I want you to stick with me today on this talk. Just a warning, it will be in depth. It'll be a bit complex. This is a topic that I've been thinking over and working out for about a year. Really a central message that I've emerged with from the COVID crisis. It may be a bit complex, but it will empower you during this season of reset. Like you, I have also felt that God was doing something big in this crisis era. Some kind of reset was happening. And like you, I've not known what that is exactly. I want to share what I've discovered about this reset. I believe that this reset is not destructive, but it's constructive. God is raising us up, not tearing us down. Let me unpack this reset from what I've learned over the last year. Let's start back at the beginning. I want to share some thoughts from the beginning of my book from Managing Your Metron. And then we'll move forward in this discussion. So I would suggest that in addition to the original commission found in Genesis for mankind to work, what we would call theology of work or the work mandate, Jesus restated his original design for mankind in the New Testament when he identified or named his church as ecclesia, that original word that's used in scripture by Jesus to describe his body, the body of believers. Through my book and our many topical discussions on this program, we've made a solid case that the original commission God gave to Adam and Eve to work and to keep or steward creation is in full effect in our lives. This commission is found in Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 2.15, where scripture states, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth genesis 2 15 says then the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to cultivate it and keep it so adam and eve had a garden and an unkept planet to manage and likewise god has assigned each believer a garden to cultivate and keep a metron adam and eve had a right to manage And I would suggest that God has also given you a right to manage, and the New Testament right to manage has been hidden in plain sight. Understanding our Metron to be our modern-day garden gives us the opportunity to rediscover and apply God's original design for our lives. In doing so, we find purpose. We recover the dignity and the mission of vocation. We also have discovered that there is a direct connection between the original commission and the Great Commission, both in the Hebrew and the Greek wording, but also in the position of being on mission in our Metrons, no matter what our vocation involves. But beyond the connected commands of the original commission and the Great Commission, what does the New Testament have to say about all of this? Obviously, we can revisit the cornerstone of the Metron concept in 2 Corinthians 10.13, where the Apostle Paul indicates that he has a metron, he indicates that he has a certain scope that was in and a certain range of things that were out of his metron, the metron of his responsibilities. My book covers this theological discussion in much more depth. I'd encourage you to read it if you'd like to further explore this perspective. Okay, so what I want to look at now is what did Jesus say in the New Testament that speaks to or substantiates the concept of managing your metron? I would suggest that there is a direct relation between the original commissioned scriptures to cultivate and keep, spread out, fill the earth, found in Genesis 125 and 215, and the original meaning of the word ecclesia that Jesus used to describe his church. So as we unpack this crucial connection in Scripture, I believe your paradigm about what it means to be part of the Church will radically expand. Let's explore how the recovery of the dignity and mission of vocation is not only possible, but it's fundamental to the function of the Kingdom. Here's the challenge though. A lot of times we feel that somehow we are spiritually insignificant in our workplace, in our home, our context, our vocation, or we may even wonder to ourselves, what gives me the right to make a difference here, in this place, in this space, in this industry, in this classroom, in this C-suite, in this nation, in this government? To answer these questions, we need to recover the fuller meaning of the word church that Jesus used to identify his followers. Church is a commission, not just an optional social event. In order to unpack this crucial topic, I'm going to refer extensively to the writing of Dr. Ed Silvoso, as presented in his book titled Ecclesia. Let me share a bit of my story here to help you understand why I wanted to share on this concept of ecclesia. I've been in mission work for decades. I've been involved in church planting in some of the darkest parts of the world. And until 18 months ago, I never really understood the broader meaning or understanding of the word church or ecclesia as Jesus used it to name his body of humans, that would be the body of Christ that we know as the church, those that would submit and follow him as disciples. I trained church planters as a missiologist. I'd mobilized, I'd discipled. Sent hundreds of missionaries over the years, yet none of my own training had a full understanding of ecclesia, much less the training or perspective I imparted to others. Okay, so a little backstory on how I ended up wrestling with this recovered understanding of ecclesia. Remember when we were all in lockdown and we had to choose what to do with our time? Well, I dove into reading. I've been persistently bothering God in prayer each day. I really wanted to gain understanding and His perspective on the crisis we were in. Honestly, God did not share much with me except to say, keep your sword sharp. So my response to that was listen, study, teach. Actually, this process is what led to the launch of my curriculum that goes with my book and this podcast. As I let God guide me in my studies, I ended up stumbling into a book called Ecclesia by Dr. Ed Silvoso. Dr. Silvoso, he's from Argentina. He has a long history of revival and reformation work all around the world. a very well-known author and minister. As well-known as he is, I had actually never read any of his books or heard any of his teachings. I'd heard of him, but I hadn't studied him. Through some divine intervention, I was invited to attend a conference he was running. I went in person last year, and wow, God brought it to light. He brought to light what I felt was the main gap in my understanding of church and what we were actually called to do as believers. Now I did discover in this process that there are a few significant areas of theological application or extrapolation that are emphasized by Dr. Savoso that I wouldn't personally hold to. But in the main area of recovering a fuller understanding of Ecclesia or the church, I was really impacted. As part of this journey, I ended up going through a four month online training program with Dr. Savoso to explore Ecclesia. I discovered that I had a huge gap in my understanding in regards to what we, the church were actually commissioned to do by Jesus himself. It turns out that church, that word church or ecclesia is a loaded title when understood in the context of Jesus' ministry on earth. So let me ask you this. What do you think of when you hear the word church? Do you think of food, fun, fellowship, preaching, Sunday school, Bible studies, discipleship programs, youth programs, or maybe you come from a high church tradition and church is very formal? Robes, rituals, liturgy, or even sermons in Latin. Things have really diversified since Jesus declared his body would be called the Ecclesia. I heard recently that there are upwards of 33,000 denominations just in North America. Just a few opinions have emerged over the last 2,000 years. So Jesus' lack of specifics about the nature of church have definitely left the door open for creativity, traditions, and contextualizations over the centuries. And all of those are beautiful expressions of people's relationship with God, of nations, of leaders, of groups of people. All of that has beauty and merit in it and expresses some form, some aspect of the body of Christ. But isn't it curious that it seems Jesus didn't specify a particular tradition or a particular method of operation when he was instructing his disciples about who they were to be as the church. A significant discovery I made as I explored the book Ecclesia was that actually Jesus did specify a model. At least his hearers of the day would have heard a fundamental, functional identity imparted by Jesus through the use of the term Ecclesia. Because in the context of the day, when Jesus instructed the disciples that they were called his ecclesia, they would have immediately speculated on why Jesus would use a known secular entity to describe his body, his church, his people. What would that have been about? So as we look into why this would be the case, you'll see that the disciples often thought they were part of an earthly kingdom and that Jesus had come to establish an earthly empire. Jesus repeatedly corrected their unspiritual thinking. Yet why did Jesus co-opt a familiar, established, secular social institution that was seen as a system or an arm of government utilized by Rome, by a foreign stronghold? Let's dive in and explore this concept of ecclesia as Jesus disciples would have understood it, as they would have heard it or perceived it. Dr. Ed Savoso expands on this understanding of church in his book titled Ecclesia. He writes, "An ecclesia in its most embryonic expression of the church is the gathering of at least two believers around the manifest presence of Jesus." With authority to bind and release for God's will to be done, beginning in their sphere of influence until the Great Commission is fulfilled. I believe this is the repositioning that God wants to see happen in His followers. This repositioning would be the, what I would describe as the recovery of our functional identity as Ecclesia. I want to illustrate the biblical connection of Metron to Ecclesia and how this produces strong believers who are able to function as a strong church in any model, in any context, going forward. I would suggest that the metrons of individual believers are the building blocks of the ecclesia, the church. Check out what theologian Dallas Willard wrote about our role as the church in his book called The Great Omission. Quote, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Did you know that under the New Covenant... You are the new carrier and conveyor of the very presence of God. This is what Dallas Willard is getting at. You are a mobile temple. The Spirit of God fills you like the Ark of the Covenant. You're commissioned to cultivate and steward the presence of God within your own Garden of Eden. That is who you are in your Metron. And your Metron is your operational space commissioned to you as a member of Christ's Ecclesia. So, where do we see this term ecclesia show up in the New Testament? Jesus called his church the Ecclesia in Matthew 16, 18. He says in verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church or Ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So, I want to read to you an excerpt from Dr. Silvoso's book, Ecclesia, that will really challenge your understanding of church as it did mine. Dr. Savosa writes in his book titled Ecclesia in chapter one quote, Jesus did not state, I will build my temple or I will build my synagogue, the two most prominent Jewish religious institutions at the time. Instead, he chose a secular entity first developed by the Greeks when he said, I will build my ecclesia. Okay, here's some more excerpts from chapter one. He continues, Ecclesia the Greek word translated into English as church was not religious in nature or connotation at all. In fact, by the time he, Jesus, first uttered the word in the Gospel of Matthew, it had been in use for centuries in both Greek and Roman empires to refer to a secular institution operating in the marketplace in a governmental capacity. He continues... When Jesus chose the word Ecclesia to introduce his redemptive agency, no one among his disciples would have conceived it as redeemable, since the existing ecclesia embodied a foreign stronghold. When Jesus introduced the Ecclesia, his intention all along was to co-opt an existing secular concept and impregnate it with his kingdom DNA. Dr. Savoso continues in chapter 1. Understanding the roots and function of the secular ecclesia, which predated Jesus' use of the term, is crucial for us to rediscover the church as it was really meant to be. At the time of Jesus' birth and all through his life on earth, there were three main institutions in Israel, the temple, the synagogue, and the ecclesia. It is usually assumed that all three were religious bodies, but only the temple and the synagogue fit that description. The Ecclesia was not religious at all, since it was first developed as a ruling assembly of citizens in the Grecian democracy to govern its city-states. It consisted of men 18 years or older who had done two years of military service. In essence, people substantially committed to their city-state. Dr. Savoso continues on and says, in a broader sense, ecclesia also came to mean an assembly of citizens duly convened. When the more hierarchical Romans replaced the Greeks in the imperial scene, the Romans assimilated the concept. Consequently, the general public in Jesus' day understood ecclesia to mean both the secular institution and the governmental system it represented. Okay, so this is fascinating. To further illustrate and help us grasp what Ecclesia meant in Jesus' day, let's look at a story that's highlighted in Dr. Savoso's book in chapter one. Dr. Savoso highlights this historical expression of a political ecclesia at the time of Jesus in this story from Acts 19. He writes: We find an example of the Hellenistic Ecclesia in the book of Acts, when Paul's associates, Gaius and Aristarchus, were dragged to the theater in Ephesus, which was a Roman colony, in response to a complaint brought by the local union of silversmiths. The word that is translated assembly in this instance is the same one rendered church elsewhere in the New Testament, see Acts 19.32 and 39. Here, ecclesia refers to the crowd twice, and a third time to the court itself, showing that the term was employed to describe a body of people assembled to conduct governmental business. In fact, when the town clerk, quote, dismissed the assembly or the ecclesia, amidst the warnings of illegality, Acts 19.41, the same noun translated assembly in that verse is translated church, 112 times elsewhere in the New Testament. This assembly model is precisely the one that Jesus chose to emulate conceptually. Okay, so that's eye-opening. So, how does the temple or synagogue model matter in the church, you might ask? Let's look back again at chapter 1 and see what Dr. Silvoso writes. He says, When the moment came to introduce his transformational agency, Jesus selected neither one. Instead, he announced that he would build his ecclesia, choosing a term that in the Roman Empire in general, and also in subjugated Israel, described a governmental institution. He continues, The Lord did not discard everything that went on in the temple or the synagogue, but assimilated significant components from both institutions into his ecclesia. From the temple, he kept the indwelling presence of God, and from the synagogue, the central role of the scriptures and the fellowship of its members. Okay, so we do these parts fairly well in the modern church. Preaching, fellowship, training, potlucks, prayer meetings. These areas we're pretty reasonably familiar with, the challenge is that we have lost the third and crucial aspect of ecclesia as Jesus established it. The first two aspects of ecclesia temple and synagogue motifs, we often think of as take it or leave it, or at best, we participate because of commitment to Christian community and the scriptural command not to forsake the fellowship of the believers. Both good reasons. Sometimes we just do church out of cultural pressure or obligation. But the third aspect of ecclesia is not take it or leave it. This is your functional commission as a member of the body of Christ. Why does this fuller understanding of church matter? This recovered understanding of our identity as ecclesia is vital to the function of each and every believer who is part of the church universal. It speaks to the question of purpose, to the question of what do I do after I'm saved. Okay, that's a lot of paradigm shift for most of us. Understanding that we are commissioned into a functionary role in God's spiritual government gets right back to the heart of managing your metron. I would suggest that when you are saved from something, sin and separation, example, you are also saved to something. You are saved unto your role in the ecclesia. Your metron is the scope of work or responsibility within which you have a right given by God to manage. Or you could say govern, as an original ecclesia member did in Jesus' day. Another helpful way to view ecclesia at its baseline level is to see the body of Christ as designed for unity. What happens when two Metron managers, as I would call them, are unified in spirit and operate in the authority delegated by God? Good question. Then, the Bible says, he is with them. When the two or more are gathered, Jesus said, there I am in their midst. They get to see those people in unity, those Metron managers in unity, they get to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven in a functional way. So no matter what context you find yourself living in, no matter what your Metron encompasses, when the two or more are gathered, there Jesus is also. This is all it takes to have a quorum in the kingdom. In a societal context, executives are empowered to convene the various responsible persons in their organization to determine operational actions. As the responsible executive in your metron and as part of God's spiritual government or ecclesia, you have the right to convene. You are compelled by Christ to convene the two or more with the Spirit of God, And then to determine the will of God, you listen. You exercise spiritual authority, prayer and declaration. Or you could say you spiritually legislate. Then you act on the spiritual legislation that the ecclesia determined. Two or more disciples plus the Spirit of God. That equals what you actually do in the church or in any given space you're in. That's how you be the church. Please note that I'm not suggesting that Scripture does not play a key role in this process. The working assumption is that no believer can succeed at a baseline level as a Metron manager without thorough internalization of the written word. But that's a focus for a different time. So what does it mean to convene as the ecclesia If this is what your functional job is as part of the ecclesia? What does it mean to convene? This was a primary function of a political ecclesia in Jesus' day, and it's the function that would come to mind in the early church when they heard the title ecclesia. Okay, so let's look at this word, conventus, the Latin word which we get the word convene from. Where does this idea, this idea of conventus come from, and why does it matter to the ecclesia? Again in chapter one of the book Ecclesia, Dr. Silvoso shares a fascinating insight into how the actual work of the Ecclesia paralleled the cultural and political concept of the time. He writes quote, "The Greek and Roman versions of the Ecclesia appeared in different forms and sizes, all of which were relevant to the subject at hand. But one format is especially notable: the Conventus." Civium Romanarum, or Conventus for short. According to Sir William Ramsay, when a group of Roman citizens as small as two or three gathered anywhere in the world, it constituted the Conventus as a local expression of Rome. Even though geography separated them from the capital of the Empire and the Emperor, their coming together as fellow citizens automatically brought the power and presence of Rome into their midst. This was indeed the Roman ecclesia in a microcosm. He continues on and says, Evidently, when two or more Roman citizens connected, the laws and protection of the emperor were in their midst. This is relevant to our discussion because in Matthew 18, After describing the authority entrusted to his deputies as the ecclesia to bind and release for the will of God to be done on earth, Jesus stated that this was possible because where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Verse 20. That is exactly what the conventus did for the emperor. Jesus made his authority available to his ecclesia in the same manner but in a much greater dimension when he stipulated, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, Matthew 18, 18. So it would seem that Jesus expected his ecclesia to do this conventus or this convening as well. I would suggest that is how the work of the church gets done in any environment. If it only takes two or more gathered then the church is truly functional at any level. When faith is flourishing in public or when it's persecuted and seems to be contained, neither externality should limit your effectiveness in convening, in conventus, in carrying out your function. Remember, it's two or more gathered, minimal unity. I think any believer can manage that lowest common denominator of success as ecclesia. Aren't you glad he didn't say something along the lines of where 50 or more are gathered. It's a low bar we've been given. When things get difficult for the organized expression of the church, it's likely in our day and age we won't lose access to scripture or good instruction, but we may lose out on the food, fun, fellowship, teaching, pastoring side of the equation. The very important life-on-life context of Christian community is vulnerable but our functional role as a member of the ecclesia is always in force. Spiritual government is never off the table. You have to take responsibility for your space. Dr. Savoso continues his explanation of why Jesus chose ecclesia as the model for his church. He writes, quote, "By selecting the ecclesia model over the temple or the synagogue." Jesus chose an agency better suited to succeed everywhere, not just in Israel, where he ministered extensively, but also in the pagan societies where he would send his disciples. His ultimate objective was not to reproduce or expand religious institutions. It was to see nations discipled by inserting the leaven of his kingdom into their social fiber through his ecclesia. So what does that actually look like for you or me, the Metron manager? Let me tell you a story about something a young woman shared uh, during a prayer time when she was asking for prayer about going into the workplace. She had just got her first job. She'd just finished grad school, but she was pretty concerned about what it would look like for her faith to operate in a secular work environment. She was moving into a great position at a major faith-friendly corporation straight out of grad school. She was really excited. She had worked there as an intern, but now it was getting real. This was her job. Even though the company was sympathetic and supportive of Christians in the workplace, she was plagued by the thought of what can I actually do, especially now that her job could be affected by her actions." There were social concerns, legal concerns, fears, uncertainties. As she shared with me about this prayer concern, I felt God gave me a scenario to share with her. I said, you can identify. You can look around your new Metron and you can identify the felt needs and the brokenness of the people that are now part of your workplace, of your space. You can convene with at least one other believer. You can unify with that person. You can hear from God as to what to pray or how to act. I shared with her a hypothetical that you could hold up the pillars, so to speak, in the spirit that were about to collapse in the life of a coworker who's struggling with depression and hopelessness or marital problems, problems with their schools, problems with their kids, all of this to say You're designed and assigned the responsibility to manage and co-labor with God in your Metron. You can make a difference in your space because you have the authorization. You have the governmental authority as the ecclesia to decide what's bound and what's loosed, what goes and what doesn't go, all from relationship with God and unity among believers. You can conventus, and you don't represent the kingdom of Rome or the Roman Empire, you represent the kingdom of God, and you represent the one true emperor, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All this to say, you're designed and assigned the responsibility to manage and co-labor with God in your metron. The original design, the original commission, and Jesus's description of the church as ecclesia all converge in their meaning. Church is not inherently a place, it's not a building, it's a function. Regardless of what happens to our traditional organized church models and our understanding of those things, the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom is not contained or restrained. You are not contained or restrained. Where two or more are gathered in His name, there He is also, and there the kingdom of God will be established." And the gates of Hades, or hell, will not prevail against it. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.